Welcome back to another episode of Because of BDRs. As you know, we like to collaborate with a lot of people in our respective teams, me and Brandon. We spoke to people from all different departments and I'm happy to say I've got Jordan on here today. Um, and yeah, this this one's, a, this one's a special one because um, I spoke to Jordan earlier on in the year. We said we were gonna do this. The opportunity came for us to do it at the right time. And uh, yeah, we're gonna go through his role, his journey here um, and what he's doing at the moment. But Jordan, for the people that don't know, who are you and what do you Thank do? Thank you, Kai, and thank you. Yep, my name is Jordan Fennell. I'm a principal CSE at Siteimprove, so that's customer success executive. Basically, the other side of what Kayan does, once the clients are closed, sign the contract, I'm there to keep them happy. Yeah, most definitely. Yep. And um, Jordan's got an interesting journey, which um, I made sure that I, w I wanted to touch on in this episode, but le let's talk about how you got to that position. I don't know where you want to start at. Exactly. Maybe it's before you actually came to London. Yeah. But if we could start there, what would you tell the yeah. people? And I think it's an interesting one because, so I'm a customer success executive, but a lot of people in the role are customer success managers. I don't think you'll find too many customer success managers who started their career off in that position. A lot of people maybe pivot from sales and a lot of people come from an account management or an administrative role. Um, I kind of had my eyes on it all the time to be an account manager. I'm not going to date myself, but if people know the show Mad Men, <laughs> they had an account management team there of guys who maintained relationships with customers, kept them happy, kept them in contact. Um, back then, you know, they were doing print ads and billboards and TV commercials and it seemed really cool and artistic to me then, but that's just not the world we're living in now. That's now how companies are spending their marketing budgets. So I know if I want to be the guy that maintains that relationship, um, you're going to have to bring something of value to the table to keep those customers happy. So working in SaaS, working with products that have that scalable model, unlimited seats, um, ways you can kind of grow the company's revenue, show them value. I knew that was something I want to learn, something our generation is good at, using software, um, navigating them quickly. And something in me helps me be a good teacher. I can train people how to use things. I can learn something pretty quickly and um, make it digestible for someone else to catch on to it quick. So that teaching aspect made it pretty simple path for me to figure out, yeah, let me learn these softwares and teach our customers how to use it align with their business goals, ask those good questions and figure out what they need to succeed and keep renewing those contracts and growing them. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. And if we take it a step back, Jordan, because mm -hmm. with me, like myself from Brandon, we only heard about SaaS a few years ago, admittedly, yeah. which, is, which, is, <clears throat> which is amazing. But in terms of SaaS, when, when were you aware of what it is yeah. and the whole industry? So it's a cool one, right? And I'm really lucky. Um, my dad was one of the first black sales managers at Xerox in Canada. So Whoa. I don't know if you can go back to like records of 80s Xerox company personnel, but he had a sales team of 10, 15 people. Um, and beyond that, you know, they it was Xerox. It's a huge company. They did printers and stuff like that. But I'm pretty sure, and I might mix this up, I think they made the um, the desktop icon, right? Like you know, the logo, and I might mix this up, I might be mixing it up with like <laughs> Apple or something, but Xerox definitely had some development as it comes to the digital technology space. Um, I'm not sure if it was icons on a desktop, you know, the little logos you click as a hyperlink, but something along that line, Xerox was in that tech space. Um, he was in the relationship management space. And I think the way my generation and the way I kind of think about my age of millennials is like, we had MySpace, but you were allowed to be cool and you were allowed to have an identity without having social media. 
So you could have been 14, 15, 16. You could have been cool on MySpace. You could have had a cool one. You could have been a cool kid without having any of that. So I think there was still a choice, but our generation was learning how to use all those spaces too. So figuring out how to use these native digital landscapes, clicking, customizing, personalizing, all that stuff was pretty second nature to me. Um, software as a service, no, that was something that I think I, I kind of came into after university. I think even at university when I was looking for internships, it was digital marketing agencies. Um, the types of like MRM McCann and big agencies like that, I was looking at smaller shops and things, but um, ones that did, you know, they'd customize a brand's website, customize digital campaigns, still do billboards, do the kind of comprehensive thing. That was how I first got into software as a service, but then I think really quickly, you know, probably from early 2010s, 2012, 2015, you had companies with five, six, seven tech products in their tech stack. And I was like, all right, this is the space to be in. These tech products are revolutionizing the way people do business, saving them so much time on the day-to-day, um, making them so much money where they're clicking buttons, setting up dashboards. And I was thinking at the same time, I was like, and I know these 50-year-old people do not know how to use a computer. <laughs> they do not know how to use a computer. And they're okay learning from someone young mm. how to use a computer. I think that's really helped me in this space. Um, whether we think of someone who's from a different country or someone from a different background, it's easier for our generation to own and convey confidence and lead with value when we're talking tech because it's only been around 20 years. If you're 60 and you have 40 years of experience, I know you didn't have computers for the first 20, so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to calm down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, yeah, yeah. and I actually thought about that the other day. Yeah. Um, 20 years, it's not been around so long. We got Brandon out of shot, but I think that just, just based on something Jordan said about his father, like we might be the first sort of starts of generations where it's like my dad or my mum works in SAS. So yeah, <laughs> I work yeah. in SAS like yeah. 10 years down exactly. the line. So it's really cool. And something that you you, you constantly referenced was, was marketing as well. Mm-hmm. Was that specifically uh, a route that you looked at? And you know, is that why now with where you are in SAS, it's, it's marketing based as well. Yeah, I think um, a big part of that is I like working with the marketing teams. They have a bit of creativity to them. They often do cool events. They do cool creative and they have crazy budgets. Um, so they got a lot of money to spend on the products. Um, I knew I wasn't gonna be in development. You know, I like the social aspect of people who get out there, people who are trying to build up new business, develop new leads and things like that. So I knew I wasn't gonna be you know, in the back, in the cave, working on code all the time. And um, recent years, there's like a lot of cool investment in fintech and like um, health tech too. Mm-hmm. So those are spaces that I would maybe consider, but just the straight marketing technology, I think um, there's so much room where people don't necessarily know the exact ROI of a lot of their marketing budget. You know, things like cost per click are pretty straightforward. The price of a Google ad is pretty straightforward, but a lot of those activities, a lot of those events, you might not be able to necessarily attribute every dollar spent, every minute spent, every person involved to the revenue. So if you have a piece of software that's gonna help either A, increase the revenue or attribute it, you got something that's a value to the company. So that's why I'm in the marketing space, I would say, is that they have a lot of spend and also we can really help them understand what the value they're getting from that spend. Definitely, I think there are a lot of activities that marketers do where they're not quite sure of the the impact exactly of that and um another thing that i wanted to touch on with your journey obviously 20 years to, to now in terms of 
the, the SaaS industry. Did you ever foresee maybe a bit of a, I don't know, challenging times that, that we're facing as a whole with, with um, companies implementing SaaS perhaps? Did you ever see it going like that or did you always see it as being an upward trajectory and what's your... Oh no, I think, so I've been in London now like almost seven years and I think they were talking about a tech bubble. Back then, like <laughs> we knew this this wasn't gonna last. And then in the middle of that, there were certain companies who, you know, maybe they had a really cool value proposition. Maybe they convinced investors because they had a really good personality. Maybe they were doing really cool things to make employees stay and work, you know, 80, 100 hour weeks. But for a while, you didn't really have to demonstrate the exact value. You didn't have to be profitable as a tech company. And I just was like, that's not going to last. Yeah. <laughs> you can't not be profitable and everyone's throwing all their money at you. Mm -hmm. I think it's similar to housing bubbles. It's similar to the dot-com crash and things like that in the 90s. So um, I knew it would grow, but I figured there'd be a reckoning. There'd be a, at some point, you know, um, the huge amount of companies would be reduced to the top players. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. I think the strongest will win. Yeah. Um, on my episode with Brandon Baker, like we we had a conversation separate, and he was just saying things that he named a few names that people will know, and he's like, imagine imagine people not using these names, and I was like, yeah, those are the companies that are probably gonna yeah. gonna stay. Um, so that's interesting as well. And can, can we speak about your your journey to London and your journey back in the states? You yeah. Know? So like I said, Dad was in Xerox in Canada in Toronto, and that's where I was born. Um, and one of his friends actually started a payroll management company in the States. So when I was 11, my brother was nine, we moved to the States. Um, and I think, you know, part of it was that opportunity to be a VP in a company and to make more money, to be in a more um, senior role. But also I think he saw the opportunity for us to be in the States and then, you know, be able to get into American universities, whereas there's just so much more, so much more opportunity for scholarships, financial aid, careers, and things like that too. Um, so I think that decision was made partially for his own career, but also setting his kids up to get into good schools, get into good jobs, things like that too. Um, so yeah, came to the States, was actually in Vegas, which was an interesting time around, that would have been 2006, 2007. Um, so interesting times in relation to the American recession, but um, what was going on then is there was a lot of companies starting up. There was a lot of growth. Um, but the payroll aspect of a company isn't necessarily the fun bit. That's not necessarily where you want to um, put a lot of resources is how are we going to make sure everyone gets paid every month? So that was essentially what their whole company did. They took that in-house. They would help manage the hours of employees by putting like time boxes in your office um, and they send the payroll out. Um, so he was the VP of sales or operations at that company. I can't remember it now. But wow. yeah, um, company went under <laughs> a few years later, but it was enough time for us to get into schools. Um, enough time for him to network and kind of find another role and other opportunities after that. Um, and then, yeah, I went to university in Virginia where I was able to study business administration. Um, and from that time, so from high school in Vegas, I kind of knew that's probably when I was watching Mad Men. That's <laughs> when I was like, these guys in suits are having fun <laughs> and they're maintaining relationships and there's money coming. So let's uh, see what that's all about. Mm -hmm. um, so the business administration with a marketing focused degree was the perfect route for that. Um, and it was a pretty good business school. So there was a combination of people who really knew economics, really knew finance, really knew um, accounting. So you did all those basic courses and stuff like that too. But also some people who are actually just had professional careers and were kind of doing guest speakers or guest lecturer situations 
we had a CEO of the Martin agency, which was a pretty popular creative agency. They do like Geico ads, Super Bowl ads and stuff like that too. Um, and he taught like one of my last, uh, it might've been an intro to marketing course, but we did some really creative stuff in that course. And he really talked about how you scope ideas with customers, how you sell them and all that stuff too. So, um, getting feedback, working with these kind of professors with real experiences, and then being in a class of students who, it was um, it was a competitive school. So being in that space gave me the confidence to kind of come out to the workplace um, and deliver my value with confidence, have those conversations, um, and be able to get into board meetings with CEOs who have owned a company for 20 years and be like, I've got this software that's going to change your business, so you better listen up. <laughs> and they would. <laughs> that's sick. So that worked. And then from there, after uni, what was what were the next few right, years like? Right, so right out of school, um, my parents were actually born in the UK. So with Jamaican heritage and like the Windrush movement in the 60s, my parents were actually born in the UK before moving to Toronto a few years later in the 70s or 80s around um, times there was like a lot of friction in London between different cultures and stuff. So um, I was able to get a passport to work here, essentially was the big thing. and. Um, you know, going to school in the States, you, you think, and I went to school in Virginia, so it wasn't like there was a big economic center nearby. It was clear. Um, and the economic center in Vegas wasn't really one that's ripe for young people starting their careers necessarily in tech. So it's really thinking big cities, LA, New York, um, Atlanta, and of course, London. And between the public transportation, the huge financial sector, the um, good work-to-life balance, I think, is a really huge part, too. And the opportunities for young people is just such a great place to start the career. And I had so much fun at my first job as a junior CSM with a really fun mentor, um, really fun team, um, and kind of just knew from the jump that this is a role where there's lots for me to learn, but I'm also delivering and performing and having a lot of fun and seeing success. So it was a really good kind of combination from the jump. And I've uh, been in now four companies now, some of them made me redundant. Some of them, you know, different situations while you leave a company. But um, it's definitely a career path that I'm super happy with, wouldn't make any changes with. And I think it's one I definitely recommend people to get into if they like relationship management, if they like being close to commercial, if they like working with software and teaching people stuff and answering their questions, um, asking them questions and solving their problems. Definitely a good career path for them, too. So. Um, there were signals for me that this would be the right path and just more reinforcement along the way, honestly. There have, there have been guests that have actually asked me about this role. Yeah. And um, obviously I, I know I know what it is, but for the viewers that don't know or who would want to get into, because what you said now, they're probably hooked to this point. <laughs> what, how would you describe what you do on a day-to-day -day yeah. basis? So I have a book of business and your book of business will grow throughout the year, but Oftentimes it's pretty standard depending on how mature your business is. Of course, as we grow, as we get new businesses, I'll onboard new clients throughout the year. But from January 1st, I have an expectation of I have 22 clients. They're worth X amount of pounds. I need to not only make sure that I think I can remember my renewal target off the top of my head. Something like 98% of them need to return from a net revenue protect. I said the wrong number there too, <laughs> from the gross revenue retention rate. And then I think something like a target of 120% um, for a net revenue retention. So not only do I need to keep these accounts, but given our product portfolio, given all the services we have, I need to grow them year mm -hmm. on year too. Um, and you guys are talking, you know, we're in a, I don't think we're officially in an economic recession, but 
like I said, whether it's a bit of the tech bubble kind of reducing or these companies having to tighten their purse strings, it's really important for your customer success team to maintain the businesses you guys have sold to in the past. So even when customers are like, our budgets are shrinking this year, we need to come back to them and say, well, we've developed our product this last year. It's better than the product you had this time last year. It's worth more. Um, we're going to at least have to keep the price the same, or we're going to find ways to maybe switch out different pieces of the product, whether you want to try something new, whether there's an aspect you're not using, um, training and enablement for new employees, finding all different types of ways to make sure that these customers are getting the most value out of our platform, and we're giving them all the different tools to try new things and find new ways to kind of benefit their business. So you are maintaining these businesses, and you'll have a mix of customers who maybe don't necessarily know what the software is fully going to do for their business. So you're educating them, you're evangelizing internally, you're getting them to show the outcomes of their work, helping them build dashboards and reports that said, hey, you used the tool, you learned how to use it, and this is the return on investment you got. You have a lot of junior customers like that. Then you have customers who are very senior. Maybe they've used all of your competitors. Maybe they know, um, you know, feature by feature where you're better and where you're worse. Maybe they know your product better than you did because you inherited that customer and they've been a customer for 10 years. Um, you still got to find a way to make meaningful contact with them. Whether you're sharing product release updates or you're asking them their input on how your product can be better, you're going to have a mix of clients of different maturity. You're going to have a different, um, and most customers you're gonna have a mix of different values. Maybe they're paying you 20,000 a year, maybe they're paying you $200,000 a year. This is where you'll get into things like the 80-20 rule, where 20% of your customers are gonna take 80% of your time, but um, you gotta make sure it's tied to the revenue. So on a quarterly basis, we're making sure that all of the customers whose contract renewal date is in that quarterly basis is sorted, everyone's renewing, we're forecasting our revenue to make sure that money's gonna keep coming in, um, and we're looking for opportunities to grow those contracts. And how would you say the role has changed over the years? Yeah, um, lots. So I think the biggest thing is it's been super important to, you know, you have one CSM, then you have five CSMs, then you have 10 CSMs. You got to start finding ways to make them more efficient. So you're going to start segmenting your customer base, all the customers in the region, maybe by country, maybe by industry, maybe by which products they're using out of the products you sell. Um, maybe maturity, right? And once you start to break down these customer segments, you got to fine tune the customer success managers who manage those to say, you need to have skills to manage 200 different accounts. You need to find the quickest way to answer their questions so you can get on to the next one. Or maybe you're on the other side of it in like a high touch enterprise CSM role. Maybe you're going to have to figure out a way to manage uh, a company that has 200 users using your tool. How are you making sure that each different team is getting the most value. Each different region is growing their website. No one's getting left behind. And the managers and um, center of excellence or C-level C-suite people are able to see everything that's going down. And maybe they only want to talk to you once a quarter. <laughs> so you got three chances per year to make sure they see the value before the contract's up for renewal. So as those companies mature, the, the SaaS companies mature, they're going to have bigger portfolios of customers, and they're going to need to find ways to specifically address the needs of each of these customers, as well as figuring out um, like your customer profile. And I'm not sure if you've talked about our business problem narrative at Site Improve, but um, once you have those customer profiles, you know your customers, well, how do we get more of these guys? We love these customers that never bother us and just renew and grow 10% every year. How do we get more of them? By understanding them, um, figuring out exactly how we serve them and sending those details back to marketing and sales so we can get more of them. So you're going to collaborate with those other teams quite a lot too. 
See, there is a lot to this role. And um, I've referred, I think, one person who's asking about being um, CS2 Jordan before. So I'm sure he'll be happy to go through, you know, anything that anyone Absolutely. has. Wants, wants to wants to ask about the role, but there is there is a lot to it. There is a lot to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like the fact that you said about sort of the educational piece to it. Yeah, because uh, that that's that's hugely important. And um, I had a conversation with with someone, and um, he said often clients will think they're going to use the tool in one way and end up using it in a completely different way. Absolutely. I'm sure you've had these experiences. And these are sort of the many joys that you can have Absolutely. with being in this role, you know. Um, what other benefits you would say, would you say, sorry, you have yeah. in your role? I think there's a lot, but some of the coolest things are, um, so like I said, I work mostly with marketing SaaS. This one's for a marketing team too. You get a lot of junior marketers who, you know, they get assigned to use this software and they're like, hey, be in this software every day, do these specific tasks. Um, but then you'll find a junior marketing manager who's kickstarting their career and they are okay to email you every day. They have enough time. They want to get as much as you can. So you're literally working with someone who's in the beginning of their career, giving them the tools, giving them the reports and the dashboards. Be like, hey, show this to your manager. You know, you did 10, 20, 30 percent revenue growth this year because you optimize things in these campaigns. And the client I was working with at the time was Urban Outfitters. Um, and this guy who I was working with, you know, he came off the floor. He was like, you know, selling shirts and putting them on hangers. And then he got a role in the digital marketing team as a junior role. And then within a year, using our platform, us working together, me helping him show the value to his organization, he's like off to an agency now. Like he's fully got a career in digital. And I think that was one of the coolest things. And that's one of the best things you can do as a CSM is have these customer advocates. So like, not only did we then go to that agency, he moved to and be like, hey, we got to talk about this product, see if we can bring you in the door. And he's like, of course, I love this product. Like, I'd like to use this product at every company I ever work at. So you get these customer advocates who can, you know, shout from the rooftops, bring you new business and say, hey, um, this product's great. Jordan's a great CSM. <laughs> He'll show you how to kind of deliver and achieve value. So I think that's the nicest thing is when you see someone learn your tool, get the most out of your tool, use it in the right way, and then their career's taking off. That's such that's a, cool one. like, because that's when it's really sort of personal. It's like a personal exactly, win. Exactly. And cause, because people often talk about being customer-centric, but that, that, that's, that's, that's some real value. Yeah. You know, and, and some real, you know, sort of sense of pride that you're taking away when you do those sorts of things. Absolutely. Um, what's sort of next for you, Jordan? Yeah, so I think it's a really interesting one in customer success because it is a role that it's longer term focused, right? Like I personally don't think you can necessarily show loads of value in a customer success role if you haven't been in that role or haven't been with that book of business for at least a year. I think, you know, two years is when you start to see, oh, he doesn't really lose customers. They only ever grow. So I think it's it's a longer term view and when your main point of focus is customers and you're their main point of contact and you're the voice of the customer, it means you can be quite insulated from a lot of the other things that are going on in the business. Maybe you're very close to the product team because you know if they do something weird and your customers can't use the product the same way, then you have a problem. But for the most part, you can get a lot of validation from your customers saying you're doing a good job, um, you growing your customers and they're not leaving. So in a way, it really leans you into the individual contributor role. You can definitely have a very good career, um, whether you're working with enterprise clients, whether you're working with 
you know, two, 3,000 digital touch clients. Either way, there's a lot of money in that role if you're very good at it. If you have an excellent one-to-many approach or you have an excellent white glove approach, there's a lot of opportunity for huge companies um, for you to get a, like a lot of money that route too. So um, I quite like the individual contributor route. I think it's um, a bit taboo to say, you know, you can be the best in your role, but you're not going to go into management because it's a completely different thing at that point. Um, you're done talking to customers unless it's like an escalation and stuff. And now you're trying to teach CSMs how they can get the most out of their book of business and how they can best manage their time and upskill themselves. So I think um, a lot of the times, a lot of those routes is specialize in your individual contributor role or start to go into the management route. One of the other things I see a lot of customer success people doing because they solve those problems, they like answering questions with customers, they like getting to the root of the problems, they'll be like a solutions consultant. So they'll move into the sales role where you don't have to be with the customer all year, every year, just a few months while you build the relationship, understand their problems, show them how the tool can be configured to solve those, and then on to the next one. So if you've had a bit too much of the relationship management, I think a lot of people end up in the solutions consultant route. Um, but if you really like working with clients, I think it's an individual contributor role that um, you know, no business ever wants to lose their clients, really, do they? So I don't see that ever um, running out of opportunity in the individual or contributor route either. Wow. I'm, I'm learning a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning a lot. And before this episode, I was like, yeah, I've started talking to CS a lot. <laughs> I know what's happening, but... Yeah, I need to I need to connect more with Jordan outside of this as well. Um, but yeah, I've, I've learned an awful lot. We're definitely going to have you back for a part two as well to get yep. more into your journey. I love that. Um, are people free to to drop you a message if they want to know more yeah. about you and and how to get how to go down that road? Exactly. And I think we're in a few of the same networks too. So there's mm-hmm. a lot more we can talk about beyond just CS, the wider tech space, um, things like that too. So yeah, drop me a message on LinkedIn. Happy to talk to to anyone interested. Brilliant. We're going to leave everyone on the cliffhanger with that one. But um, thank you, Jordan. We've thank been speaking about this for some months now, and I'm glad that you finally got to come on. Yeah, yeah. you got a good setup here. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>